Um, all right, let's pod. Ready to pod? <laughs> yeah, Friday pod. Friday pod. Friday at 4.54 p.m. I have tons of energy right now. <laughs> <laughs> you're, really, you're really selling this podcast. <laughs> what you, uh, what you been working on? Um, you been doing open source today. Yeah, open source. I actually did a bit of open source this week. So I did some fast boot testing stuff, cleaned up some issues. Um, I adopted your uh, your the way you categorize issues in add-on docs and Mirage, where you have like three or four tags. It's like bug, feature, and like needs more info, and you don't move on to the features until all the bugs are done. Yeah, uh, and I really like that. I really like that it's you can kind of simplify, you know, your your big issue list. It's just you go in, you're like, okay, I know exactly what I need to work on today. Yep. And that's, um, yeah, it's great. It's important. I mean, we talk about that with normal product development, right? Um, just the importance of like being an engineer, being able to focus on engineering because engineers in normal companies focus on so many other things <laughs> yeah. so many of the time, Yeah. which is frustrating as an engineer. You want to be doing what you're getting paid to do. Mm-hmm. It's not to say that you should work in a, in isolation and not provide input on you know what you happen to be working on and what should be worked on but you know when that's all you're doing and you're not getting any code done it's frustrating yeah so yeah it's like people <laughs> folks that say you know i do my coding when i when i go home from work yeah i mean how many yeah so many people have told us that you yeah know, people we worked with teams we've been on that's the only time i can get any work done because all the meetings um that's definitely a symptom of something else going on um yeah, the, the issue that came from two months ago about when I started trying to really seriously go through Mirage issues and clean them up. And there was just, it was like overwhelming just because there was like, you know, 70 or 80 or, and then there was like 30 PRs and, you know, there's a lot of lessons there. Um, I think one of them is like the root cause analysis is like Mirage tries to do a ton of stuff. It's just big. It just tries to do a lot. And like, there may be some primitives there that are lower level that um, could have been kind of done or complete a long time ago and the extra functionality could have been provided like in a plugin system or an adapter pattern kind of thing. Um, middlewares. Do you think that, okay, do you think Mirage would be as popular if it were lower level? Because I mean, one of the things I love about Mirage is Batteries included. Yeah. Yeah. I just install it and it reads in my Ember data models. And, right. You know, the defaults are really good. Right. And I, you know, it just kind of works in my tests. That's also because, like, the way we work has shaped Mirage and the way that I think, you know, things should be done. But, like, the reality is it's not. There's lots of possibilities for how to structure things. And so that's the, that's the thing when you run into something that doesn't work and there's an issue that's been there for a year or two. That's when that's the downside of that, right? Yeah, Whereas okay. um, Pretender, no one's ever getting stuck by Pretender because it does the one piece that it needs to do, and um, you can build up people build abstractions on top of it. So um, no, I think going back, I would have done some things differently, but I still am pretty happy with it. Um, no, so the, the it, but the issues were just overwhelming, and so yeah, the ideas, some of the ideas there came from looking at uh, Lodash and how John Dalton had categorized things. And the way he did it was um, he like closes issues immediately as soon as they're open. <laughs> I mean, that's I don't know why I hadn't thought of that earlier. <laughs> <laughs> what? 
problem solved. <laughs> no more issues. Um, uh, and it's closed. So no, what he does is he closes the issues and then he uses labels to like prioritize things. And he also uses emoji reactions. We started using Canny board for Mirage feature requests. And that was the first step was seeing like, let's, let's disentangle the feature requests from the bugs, from the functionality that's broken. Because like, it sucks that the functionality doesn't work as I intended to. And it's like really causing problems for someone. But if someone's like, I'd really love it to do this, or I have this really unique situation, I can just say, that's really a feature request. It just goes beyond of what's mm-hmm. the supported functionality right now. And so that, in that way, I was able to just immediately like cut everything in half or even more. Right. Which just helps so much. Then once you have, you know, bugs, feature requests or enhancements, that's a little subtle, but I think it's important feature request or enhancement because when someone says like, um, like what's a performance, like there's a performance problem and it's like, um, is that a bug or, you know, is it a feature request if, if something's so slow, they can't use it. Um, or as an enhancement. And so that, that, that's a nice thing that kind of catches both of those. And then, um, some of the issues when I was kind of going through them was like, I was, I didn't know what to do next and I needed more information from the person. It could have been old. So that's where the needs more information came from. Um, and there might be one more, um, bug feature needs more info. I think there's like question was one of them. Question, right. But, um, I found that really helpful to just triage everything. And also one of the goals was like the getting things done thing where if I get an email that there's a new issue or see something in Slack or Discord or whatever, then I can just categorize it without, I know it's going to take me 30 seconds maximum. And so there's no excuse not to always have everything categorized. Basically, that's, that's the idea, right? And it's worked out pretty well. Um, and then you go to work on it and all you do is first you go to the PRs and you see all the bugs and you go to the oldest one. And so someone's put time to put together a PR for you and it's addressing a bug, that should be the highest priority thing you work on, I think, as a maintainer. So then you just work backwards through that. Once you get done with all the bugs and the PRs and you go to the bugs and the issues, and then you have a bunch of feature requests, basically enhancements. And at that point, obviously how old they are is part of it, but really more important is like the need. Yeah. And so that's where you need to gauge the need and, and how important. And you as a maintainer, you kind of understand, you kind of viscerally get a sense for what's needed by your users and what people have been asking questions about and stuff like that. So John Dalton uses this interesting, the emoji reactions. And again, with Canny has the upvotes, but it's the same idea where you can sort by that and see what's most upvoted. So, um, yeah, I really like that system for guiding development. And so we've been using that in storefront and you know, all of the add-ons that we work on tailwind and everything. And it just helps you because you don't always have time to work on everything that people ask for. So yeah, it's really good. Yeah. Um, I mean, it also simplifies something that's super overwhelming. So, yeah. I mean, yeah. I think there's really room for something like that on GitHub issues to nudge you towards that. I mean, it's like, again, this is like GitHub's low level. Issue management is low level, so no one can blame GitHub because it doesn't do anything. But at the same time, it doesn't do anything, so it doesn't really <laughs> solve your problem. It's almost like you want them to nudge you here and put a little more constraints Really, the voting is super important because the voting helps you understand the feature request versus bug stuff. And I think that's really important and have a way to gauge interest. Um, so related to all this, uh, I asked on Twitter what people were using for project management um, and issue tracking at their companies between Jira and GitHub issues and Trello and other things. 
And this is related to my upcoming talk at uh, Ember Camp that I'm going to be giving. Um, and kind of what's been rolling around in my head is like talking about some of these product lessons that we always talk about, whether it's with like consulting clients or our own projects that we work on or open source, um, how the product development stuff relates back to open source and, and coding libraries. So um, that's part of why I was asking about that. And I think like, you know, as business owners the last two years, both working on our own site and helping companies, the most valuable thing that we've provided has not always been the code. No, it's never. I mean, I'll say right now, it's never been the code. The code, the code is part of the, the, the puzzle that, you know, delivers what they need. So we need to provide code, but the most valuable thing, no way. Like it's, it's what, what is, well, I should say, what is it? Right. What is the most valuable thing? Well, you said it, you said it nicely the other day. I think you said something like, um, code can't be judged in a vacuum and good code could be delivering no customer value and bad code could be running a profitable business. Um, yeah. And this isn't like, I mean, this is, there's like a continuum here, right? Like right. if we, if we see a function and that function takes 20 arguments and they're like a comma B comma C, we would all point at that and say, Hey, that's, that's probably bad code. You know? So there, there are things we can definitely say that like these things are bad code. These things are spaghetti code. They're tangled. But most of the time, like that's not, when you look at code bases, it's not really a reality. You don't, you very rarely see functions that take 20 arguments. Right. Um, oftentimes you see things that are, you know, half best practices, half sort of too much creativity. Right. And so it's not, you can't, you can't just look at that and say, oh, that's bad because of like these parts of this code. You know, you need to know like, like how often does this code change? Right. Uh, is this code causing problems? Is this like, there's, there's way more of a story here. Right. So, yeah, I, I, t I totally agree. Um, and that, well, that's why like, sorry, I mean, to cut I, you up, but just go ahead. So that's why, like when we say like the code is like the least valuable thing or not the most valuable thing that we deliver, it's because it's rarely code is the problem. The root cause. The root cause. Of you, the problems that they're, the team is experiencing. And now this is interesting because a lot of people ask us, whether it's online or in our videos or um, like consulting clients, they, they're, at, they're seeking us out because of our Ember expertise. Yep. And they're working on an Ember app and maybe they have a deadline. Um, and the idea is like we need the experts, someone who's really capable in Ember to help us push this thing over. But then again, it's like when we see needing ember help to hit a deadline is often a symptom of, of something else that's going on, right. which is all this product stuff, which relates to the same. And this is why, like what I want to do in the talk is bring some of these back to open source, because again, whether you're talking about a product for an end user or something like a library, like Mirage or even, you know, Ember itself or Ember CLI, um, there's the code, but then there's all the other stuff, which is what's the value being delivered by the code. And, um, what's the link there and, mm -hmm. um, how do you prioritize what you work on? I mean, prioritizing feature development is probably the most fundamental part of all of this because people can waste, teams can waste a ton of money building stuff that never gets used. And so really the root cause there is priority. It's not about 
ember help it manifests itself in that way because the wrong things get prioritized maybe overly complicated features that don't deliver a lot of value and so it takes a team the yield is off right it's a mm -hmm. high cost and low yield and so it seems like the problem is that the team needs more ember resources but reality is that thing is not delivering the value you would expect and so your costs are too high you miss deadlines you go over budget all this kind of thing yeah and you know i like i like the fact that we kind of <laughs> have been thinking in these two worlds like both the ember world and the product world because no one comes to us for product help right mm -hmm. but the reality is that, that the product problems the engine like you said the engineering the the missed deadlines uh, those are symptoms of the product stuff and people look to us to solve those problems and we can say, okay, great. Your engineers like, you know, need to hit this deadline. We're not going to fix this problem by changing the engineering. We're going to fix this problem by changing the process and the product stuff. Right. So, so one way we've found to be really effective how to communicate this is by talking about, about this product, um, discovery portion and, and um, discovery and prioritization. And the idea here is, you know, I think, you know, when I started, certainly when I started coding, like you, you can see how design is kind of an independent aspect of building a product or even an open source library. And then the actual coding, the actual engineering, the implementation is kind of like a second process. And you can, you could imagine like for a product, like Instagram, you have designers who give you mockups, like high fidelity mockups. And also like the UX um, is kind of in there somewhere, like the, the flows, but like taking the visual thing and I have a visual thing and here's what happens when I do this and then building it are two distinct phases. Um, and there's this third phase really that exists at the beginning of it all, which is the product phase. And I think, you know, when I started coding, I didn't understand this. I remember when I joined Ted, like we were working with product people it was like the first company I had where there was actually dedicated product people. And I was, I remember asking one of them, I was like, I was like, what is, what is product? Like, what does a product person do? And they kind of like looked at me like cocked their head. And, um, you know, by the end of my time there, I knew because I had seen it broken down and you know, what product really is, is deciding what is going to be built. Um, and as we all know with software, you know, what gets built changes software is soft. And so, um, there's, there's feedback that's incorporated from users that affect what gets built. It's not like a three year project that you know, everything ahead of time. Actually at the beginning, you know, the least amount that you'll ever know. Um, software companies pivot all the time. We all know this, but what we've seen is that a lot of people and ourselves included, even again, with something like Mirage or, or whatever, it's very tempting to kind of get your hands dirty roll up your sleeves and just get to coding. Like the answer is code because like what you think you need is more code. Well, code is going to be like right before the deliverable, right? right? Before you can deliver something, the step right before that is code. So if you can, speed if we that could up, just get to code, yeah. then we're, we are one step away. Right. And if you're coding at a rate of five and you bring on four people and you can be coding at a rate of 20, you're going to get there four times faster. Yeah. The problem with that is that um, there's this product aspect, this product piece of it. And it's really like there's these three buckets, right? And anyone who's worked again on a team knows that how, how, how often has it happened where you spend time coding something only to find out you coded the wrong thing or you have to change how you did it. 
or you were coding something and it took you forever because it, what you were supposed to be building, whether it's a feature or a bug fix or something, it is, the specificity wasn't enough to, for you to know and just be able to go forward. We've all been in those states where I know exactly what I want. Maybe I have a high fidelity mock-up with a really good design and product team and I can just crank this thing out. It's not, I'm just focused on the implementation. I'm not thinking about the actual product. But when those things get mingled together, that's when things really slow down. And the way we talk about this is we've got these three phases, really. And this is like what I still want to be thinking a lot about how best to communicate this to people, because I think people don't understand how important this is. You've got the product decision phase, which is like the first slice. Let's call it like 1x or maybe 5x out of 100. Let's just go over the phases first. The phases? Yeah. So you've got the product phase, the design phase, and the, and the engineering phase. And the product phase is where you decide what it is you're actually going to build. Mm-hmm. And then the design phase is where you design it, and then engineering is where you engineer it. So I, I, what you're saying makes sense, but doesn't this sound, this kind of sounds like waterfall. This kind of sounds like I'm gonna do like all this product work, all this design work, all this engineering work, and yeah. then a year later I'm gonna ship the product. And that's, don't, we know, like, don't we know that that's wrong? Definitely wrong. I think um, maybe the way to phrase this is that for any, for any part of your application, for any functionality, for any feature that ends up in the final app, that feature must have gone through all three of these phases, right? Mm-hmm. You can point to any feature in any piece of software and it will have been designed, it will have been implemented, and it will have been decided on to build that thing at some point, right? Mm-hmm. And now, sometimes when we talk about this, like people are, are like, you know, you can have one person do all three phases. Like if one person is just hacking on a side project, implicitly they are making product decisions, they are making design decisions, and they are building implementation. But the point is that when you break down software, that's really the three big buckets, right? So you're, you're saying that like every feature has to go through these three phases, but they all don't have to go through the three phases at the same time? Right. They, they, they the, the, the phases are... Those are aspects of software. Those are the the big aspects of any software feature. The question is, how best can software teams go about completing those phases to ship the best product they can in the shortest amount of time with at least budget? And so that's really what this whole discipline of product development is about. And you have people who are dedicated product developers these days who are running a product. You know, you heard the term like product owner, you know, product manager, this is really what the idea is, is, is figuring out how can we break down the work that needs to be done to get things done as fast as possible. And of course, like there's a massive continuum here, right? Like when I say something needs to be designed, um, there's a continuum from it being like a high fidelity mock-up to like maybe the engineer just decides what box shadow to use on the dropdown when they're building it. But that's still like a design. That's an aspect of design. And then there's the implementation. The reason I think it's important to identify the three phases is because what we've seen time and time again are where the time and resources go down the black hole and why software projects are so often over budget and missing deadlines. And what we've identified is that it's really the product stuff. All the decisions that happen in the product stuff, in the product phase, get spread out to the other ones. And if you were to break down, let's say out of like 100 units of cost of time, the product decision-making phase could take one or five x units the design phase could take like 15 units 
and the engineering phase is like 100 units in terms of time that it takes. Mm -hmm. Engineering is by far the most costly phase of developing software. Right. So just like an example of this, you can imagine like you come up with a feature like uh, the user should be able to reply to an email. Mm -hmm. Like the product phase, that's it. Right. Like that, I just, I just identified it. So think about how quickly, think about how easy it was for me to just say that to you. Right. The design phase, you can think like, okay, what is what is a what does it look like when I'm replying to an email, and that's going to be that's going to take longer than just saying it, right? And then the engineering, like the coding of that, is going to take way longer than that design phase. So that's where that's where like this one fifteen a hundred x right. units that you're you know you can just think about every feature you build. Right, it's, I can I can like a photo on Instagram. Yeah, so you're that's done. A that's your, that's, that's your. a product decision that was made. It's a feature that's going to end up in the product, and we're not. When we like say it's like one X, we're not trying to trivialize. trivialize. Like, yeah, we're not trying to trivialize the the product role because actually getting to a point where you can say like I should be able to like a photo on Instagram is so incredibly hard because like think about all the things you can do with a photo. Like you can resize a photo, you can zoom in on a photo, you can crop a photo. Like like you can't. The product manager has to be has to be the person that says no to nine things and, and yes to that one thing. I right. can like the photo. So product is, we think it's short in, in like the resource time, but it's, it's not an easy, it's not an easy job. It's yeah, not like a trivial job. Yeah. It's very, very important. It's like, it's, it's what you're building. It's the most important thing you could be. It's what the it's the difference between a team spending a million dollars building something that's completely useless yeah. and, um, not, yeah. um, <laughs> But right, the point of the phases and the time and the cost on the cost side is to say, okay, I can like a photo, and um, that gets designed and then it gets built, and usually um, these things don't happen so smoothly. And again, as engineers, we know when it comes time to build a feature. I mean, even something as quote simple as liking a photo, right? If you were to build that, you couldn't just build it off of that. That's not specific enough. That that's telling you when the feature is done because the user can like a photo. But what does it look like? I mean, if you were to just build that right now, I mean, I'm pretty sure there's like an Ember add-on for a rating system yeah, or exactly. a like system. So, just, so I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm done. Yeah. <laughs> what does the icon look like? Is it what does it look like if I've liked the photo? Can I unlike the photo? Uh, can I like my own photos? Um, so. Again, as anyone who knows was build software knows, the amount of specificity you need to actually code something is is very detailed, and there's so many paths. And of course, you don't even think about all of them the first time you build them. Um, that's part of this too, is like discovering all the things you actually need, which no one will know at the beginning. But if you don't have those questions answered when you go to start coding, then what's going to happen, right? Mm -hmm. You're going to take a ton of time. You're going to start building for what you think you need to be building. Halfway through, you're going to find out there's three paths or three angles of the decision tree that, that hadn't been considered. And now you either go back to someone who can make a decision about what should happen if you like your own photo or what it should look like, or you just do your best um, to go ahead. And when we say things like uh, product decisions are being made in the de design and engineering phases of the work, that's what we're talking about. And what happens then? Because the engineering is 100x, now the engineer comes back to get their feature reviewed, but they've made all these product decisions that the team hasn't agreed on along the way. While coding. So it's like they've basically stretched out 
the, what the, could have been a one or five x time cost for the team in a whole over the super complex phase of software development because it was intermixed with the coding and yeah. yep and so at the end of the hundred x you know um they present their work and all of a sudden there's four new product decisions that have been made and maybe the product owner doesn't approve maybe you finally put it in front of end users and they give feedback and you realize you shouldn't have built that thing and so now this whole phase for or, this feature can i just add something because yeah. what i what i usually see is you end up shipping this thing you don't really get any feedback on it and now for the next five years your your team is maintaining this yeah all these features and they're the wrong features and right it's just a huge waste of time right so so if you ever have to re-implement this thing you just have to double you just keep adding this entire phase of development and if you could just so the, the real thing here is like you're using the most expensive phase of development to discover what you should be building, to discover the product decision that you should be making. That would be, that's not, if you can avoid that, it's better. You shouldn't be using the most expensive phase of your software project to discover what it is you need to build. And then the kind of obvious follow-up question is where, how can we more cheaply discover our product decisions, mm-hmm. right? And if, if only there was a role, yeah, someone that was that specialized in in product decisions. Exactly, and I think this is what like the industry has really been figuring out lately. But where we still see a lot of, um, you know, th- there's still again, it's like how to get everyone to understand that when you embed these product, the product decisions are important, and if they're embedded in the design and development phase, they're going to blow your budgets. And so this is where when we've seen teams work really well is when there are dedicated product people. There's someone who is able to work with the designer and engineer in a single room, talk through all of the aspects of a product, of a feature that they're going to add to the product and come up with, you know, like a Jira story or a GitHub issue that is detailed enough that the designer can take and design it and that the engineer can take and implement it. Yeah. And I think a key, key piece of like the, the product owner role is that this person has authority to say what what is correct and what isn't correct. Right. Now they don't, they can't predict the future, so right. they don't know that like a feature is going to be like a profitable feature for the company. Right. But they can say, listen, I've gathered buy-in. I know that you can't like your own photo. Right. So it's not going to go through development and then come back and someone says, hey, I need to be able to like my own photos. It's like the pro the product owner had the authority. They set this up. They 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 set that up in that phase and not letting it get to get implemented and then then start talking about hey can you actually do this right right so i think that authority that that they're kind of like the hub yeah it's connected not to just, everyone right and in the same way that it's the it's the designers it's the lead designer's job to um when you have someone who's a lead designer they're the ones who are going to sign off ultimately on the final design they're, and they're going to be an arbiter between the many designers who are all going to have opinions about how things should look. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, there's going to be a, you know, when when teams aren't being aren't dysfunctional, there's there's a, a lead who can um, obviously take input, solicit input from everybody, but come down and finally make a decision. Right. And move forward with the design. And same with the developers, like all developers will have opinions about how the implementation should be built, what technology should be used. I mean, we know developers microservices. Yeah, microservices, <laughs> you know. And, um, but eventually the team lead CTO is going to, is going to make a decision based on all the input and move forward. And if you just bike shed for weeks, your implementation is never going to get built, right? It's just, you're going to waste a ton of time. And 
it's the same with the product stuff. It's just that it's not as well understood at this point in the life cycle of our industry that these product decisions are important and they can be cheap to make in the sense of overall cost of things. They're not as expensive to design or as development, but they're super, super important. And also because they're important and and people perceive them to be, this is the thing, people perceive the product decisions to be like an easy, cheap thing. Like, oh, just make that red or like, just let's just use this other icon or like when I triple tap, it should unlike it. Like people perceive those to be easy because everyone understands a product decision because the software is being built for users and everyone is speaking at that layer, at that level of abstraction. Like product and business people don't understand maybe how a database works, but liking a photo on Instagram, they can understand. And so what happens is the product decisions get embedded in the entire organization. So not only among the teams actually building a product, but once the thing gets moved up and tested and like the CEO sees it, everyone's gonna have opinions about the product decisions and so if you don't have that team lead who's going to be the decision maker like you pointed out then you're really going to have uh, a tough time and you're going to have um, people in a conference room for hours talking about the slightest things the slightest product decisions and that could happen after you've already spent the 100x the time engineering it hey yeah that, there's like a, a pretty as engineers there's like a pretty uh nice test for this so we can say like it, it, at your company, if you want to use React or Ember, who's the person that gets to make that decision? Yep. There's, there's, you can generally point to some person and say, you know, that person, Alice, she gets to make the decision. And I might disagree, but we're all going to follow it because we know that, that she's a boss. Right. She's going to ask, she's going to solicit input and everything, but she is sure. going to be the one who makes the decision. So then if we kind of flip that question, who gets to decide that that button is green or who gets to decide that you can like your own photo? And if you have to like think about that, it's like, oh, maybe it's Jim, maybe it's Mary, you know, you're kind of, why was it so easy to say like, Alice is the one that gets to pick the tech, That's true. but it's hard to say like, oh, these product decisions, well, it might come down to so-and-so. Or it might be Mike and then, and then you do it. And then two weeks later and it's like, oh, actually Carol up in marketing, um, she wants to see this and wants to sign off on it. So it really wasn't Mike. Yeah. It was actually Carol. <laughs> yeah. And then once Carol gets her say, <laughs> then uh, you've got uncle John wants to see it and make sure, you know, he likes the color of it. But um it's just the way we talk about this stuff doesn't make it clear how costly those decisions are. Um, well, I think it goes back to what you said. Like, I can like a photo. That's so, you know, we were kind of, we were commenting, it's so easy to phrase this thing. So why is it, shouldn't like the easiness just follow the phrase? Like, right. shouldn't it be, therefore, it'd be easy to design and easy right. to build? Right. So it's tough. There's another aspect of this, which is because everyone in the organization basically has opinions about this um which again it's not a bad thing in and of itself the bad thing is trying to please everybody when it comes to making a product and trying to say yes to everyone which is yeah, not your job also too if you're in an organization where people don't have opinions i mean that's a not that's an yes. awful job yes <laughs> yes <laughs> good point <laughs> but, so the other aspect though is that because everyone has opinions you kind of feel like um this is all this is it this is the last chance we have and if we don't get a liked photo out now, then we're never going to get it. But this comes back to our industry and the fact that we're making soft software. Yeah. And the vast majority of decisions that you make um, are not going to be big, costly decisions that can never be changed. Right. right? I call this, I have, a, I have a term for this. I call this like stakeholder PTSD. 
So a stakeholder was on a project and they got like three months of development time and the project got, you know, it was like 10% of what they wanted and they were told, Oh, don't worry. We're agile. We'll, we'll, mm-hmm. we'll get, we'll get the other 90% in later. And it, it never happens uh-huh. because everyone moves on to, to the new project. Right. And so, um, you see this where, where stakeholders are like, we need to get this photo liked. We need to get it liked right. Yeah. Like everything needs to be perfect. Cause they know, they know that after only three months, so long. Yeah. After three months, you're, you're on the next thing. Right. And, and so, yeah, yeah they're going to ping you and, and that's when you, yeah, this is why engineers have three number one priorities, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, you know, they're, they're talking to three different managers and they're trying to make everyone happy. Right. Yeah. Again, another symptom of this, which seems like a tech engineering problem, but really the root cause is this other stuff. Yep. But I really like the the way I talk people off of this ledge, this PTSD ledge yeah. is uh, is software soft. Yeah, it can I change. Love, I love love that phrase. Yeah, it's really great. So yeah, that's the thing. It's like we're all sitting in a room talking about some aspect of the product, some feature, and it's like, y'all, listen, let's just go forward with it, and. Um, it's going to change. And really, that's the other thing, which, again, is part of the discipline of product management um, that good product managers are really good at is understanding, like, these product decisions are for the customer and they require us understanding what it is we're actually doing for the customer, what value we're shipping for the customer. So everyone in here and their 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 husbands and wives have opinions about the color of this button. But... Um, is that who we're building this for or is it because of what the user is going to do with our software, what they're going to be able to accomplish? Yep. Um, and that's where the, the, um, the product owner can come in and say, look, why don't we measure this? Why don't we figure out a way to see what the actual user who is, who we should be caring about thinks about this and let that drive our decisions. Um, so again, it's like, there's so many aspects of this that are so difficult and which is why it's an entire role. But it's still the case that um, it's very easy to just let these pro- this whole this whole aspect of software development just be hidden, be implicit, and not be um, explicitly dealt with. Whether it's you working on an open source project by yourself or an organization working on a product. Hey, that's a great that's a great thing. Like like the engineering can't be implicit. Yeah. Like, like when I take my hands off the keyboard, the code isn't going to write itself, yeah. you know, yep. but there are roles when, and we've identified like product is one of these roles yep. that, that there are implicit decisions made. If you don't, if you don't like, you know, focus on it. I wonder what other roles there are or what other things there are in a software project where you need to be aware of, or else those decisions are going to get made by designers, by software engineers. Right. You're not going to be dealing with them head on like you should be. Yeah, you're not going to have the person that that specializes in mm-hmm. it. And I think product is, you know, I mean, there's a lot to product, right? Because it's 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 not just the liking of the photo, you know. And again, this is something else we've talked about before, but like it's the product triangle, and it's how people are going to find out about this feature to begin with. Like you're talking about liking the photo and what the color of the heart looks like, and if you can like your own photo. But once you build this thing, like how are people going to find out about it? Yeah. Are they going to see an, a, a blog post with a nice card on Twitter and then click that and then be taught about this feature and then be brought to the app with like a little shepherding thing where they right? So uh, the marketing aspect is, is here as well. Yep. Um, and again, in bigger companies, that's someone's full time job. If you're just working on your own thing, whether you're a solo product person or you're working on an open source library, 
you have to be you are making marketing decisions whether you're thinking about it or not you're making product decisions whether you think about it or not yeah that's really good like the onboarding how does the user find this yeah how does the user find your add-on like what what problems does it solve for them what mental state are they going to be in when they come to it like that should affect yeah, is this, everything is this something that could be frustrating is this something that's are they going to be like overjoyed by this? Like right. What? Yeah. Good product managers think about this stuff. And that's why the best digital products in the world, you know, when we think of apps like Slack or, um, you know, Apple products or, I mean, you know, I don't know where everyone, you know, everyone has their own. Mine are Slack and Apple and things like this. Dropbox. We just had, we were just, you know, getting a Dropbox business account and like they talk about the product triangle. They nailed, they nailed it. It was crazy how everything just worked. Um, across all these devices and stuff. The best digital products in the world um, follow these things. They, they, under, they truly understand the discipline of product management and they get the triangle where it's not just about the functionality, it's about the user experience and ha- how delighted they are by it and the aesthetics, everything that is important to um, people using your product they've thought about. And so, you know, if we care about Ember and people being successful with Ember, we have to understand what they're using it for, what value it's delivering, how are they going to find it? We have to start at the end and um, think about every stage of that. Because again, we are making marketing decisions and product decisions for Ember or for our open source work. But um, if we're making, if we're not thinking about them, we're just making them um, kind of as a side effect of our work. Then clearly, we could probably be doing better, right? Right, and this is this goes back to uh, you know what the family thinks of what color the family thinks a button should be. Right. It's, right. <laughs> that's right, like right. us making decisions. Yes. It's, yes. Totally. Um, so yeah, this is like, you know, this feeds into some of the, the work we're doing with the home page. We, we had the survey that you put together asking people, why do they use Ember in spite of all the alternatives? So, you know, those are users of Ember. Like what value do they get out of it? Um, we're going to do some work on the home page and, and try to make it communicate some of the values. So if someone comes to the home page for the first time, what do they see? What are they feeling there? Like what sense do they get from it? Um, I mean, why are they here in the first place? Right. Right. Like why, why, why are they looking at the Ember homepage? Right. So, so yeah, I think, um, this is kind of, these are the, some of the stuff we've been talking about for a long time now, but specifically what I've been thinking about recently for the talk, uh, Ember camp, I'm going to give in a few weeks. But um, yeah, it's just funny how those lessons trickle back to something like working on Mirage. And it's like, um, yeah, if you just choose to work on the, the, the last thing that you can, you're making a product decision about what to work on, even if you <laughs> hadn't thought about it yet. So maybe with a little bit of time, you can pull the product decisions out into the beginning, mm-hmm. right? Triage your issues, figure out what's most important and deliver way more value to the community than if you had just kind of not thought about that. Mm-hmm. So um I think there's a lot of lessons for us. Yeah. I think it's also easier. Like if you, if you're running your own open source project, like, like there, it, you are playing all those roles. So you're going to make a decision and you're going to code it. And then you're going to accept, like, you know what, you know, that decision is going to be something that you're going to accept because you made the decision. Right. Where like right. in an organization with lots of people, if no decision is made, someone implicitly makes it and codes it then it could be sent back and have right. to be redone. But right. you're not, I mean, unless there's like a lot going on in your head, you're not going to be like, oh, that <laughs> thing I told myself to go code, I'm going to reject it now. Yeah. So. <laughs> but you will learn things 
about it once people use it and it might be wrong and if you could have found those things more cheaply than by building it again if you didn't use code as discovery the most expensive part you could have saved yourself a ton of work absolutely um unless you're just coding because it's fun which i mean we've all done that like you know build an orm like (laughs) yeah um but I think there's lots of lessons that product developers and the discipline of product management have has for us lowly software developers, us lowly implementers, you know? Yeah. Um, a lot to be learned there. So, um, yeah, I mean, the end result is not the code that you wrote. The end result is the value that, that you delivered. Right. And it's usually heavily relies on the code, but you know, there's these cases where everything we just talked about it, it's going to shape that code. Right. So totally cool. Um, so yeah, that talks coming up a few weeks. should be good. should be fun. Um, do we have any, any questions or, um, I guess, I guess like Ember stuff folks have been talking about. No, I, I want to, I want to poke some holes in this. Oh, and everything you just said. All right, let's do it. So there's a lot of like just things I've seen before where it's like we haven't even talked about estimation, which is part of all this. <laughs> yeah. um, can save that for that's a whole episode. yeah, that's a whole another one. But that yeah, go ahead. So, you know, product manager makes some decisions. Um, designers design it. Engineers start engineering it, and then like halfway through the engineering process, we find out there's like there's like 400 accounts that can't use this feature because they're in some weird state and they're like from like two years ago they're old no uh-huh. one knew about them we can't say the product manager why don't you think about these like 400 accounts yeah yeah, yeah. out of our hundred thousand accounts in the system right like how did you not know about these so what do you walk me through what happens when you're you know halfway through that coding phase and you new information yeah. comes up because this, well, this does happen oh absolutely happens i mean the first my first reaction right now is just you know a lean startup uh, small batches so if you're not familiar the um the the lean startup is a book that has a lot of these ideas in it and in it he talks about the notion of small batch which is uh, instead of doing you know in in our case it would be doing product decisions for every feature of the product then designing every feature of the product and then building every feature of the product and then shipping the whole app in one big go you would turn that sideways and take a slice of functionality do the product design development and then ship it product design development ship it product design development ship it and this is like agile versus waterfall basically the idea in the book was like you had a bunch of envelopes to 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 ship to like send off and so you would think like you'd put them all here and you like fold the things and you'd fold all 100 letters and then stuff all 100 envelopes and then lick all 100 um, tabs and close them write all 100 addresses and then do it but you do that and there's something wrong at the end and you you know the ink needed to be red instead of blue but you've just done it for a (laughs) hundred envelopes and so you didn't learn about this crucial thing that happens at the end until you've done all this work and it could have been avoided if you did a small batch where you took one envelope and did it end to end or five envelopes and did it end to end and repeating that it came from toyota too and when they did this it actually moved faster than you would have expected Naturally, you might think batching the, the, the process by, by type of like by the kind or type 
Um, yeah, of, make, it makes, I, I, by the way, I love, I love the envelope example. Yeah, the envelope, it's, It yeah. illustrates this so well. Yeah, yes. Yeah, but you can specialize. Like specialize one, economies of one scale. One person can just fo- focus on folding, and that person is going to be the best folder. Right. Like, I can go off. I can hire, hire a letter folder. Right. I can hire an envelope stuffer. I can hire a stamp licker. And right. they're just, <laughs> they're going to be the best. And and it's so inefficient, like, to just do one letter and then drive all the way to the post office and mail it. Right. Like, that's just... It's such a waste of time. Right. But, but. You're going to learn so much. You're going to learn so much. From that first experience, that first letter. Yes, exactly. And the stamp liquor is going to be, you know, (laughs) I love that. For some reason, that's just great. You know, like, is there a market for stamp liquors? You can go to Craigslist or something and get a a stamp liquor. Yeah, but it's it's not what you think it is. (laughs) Wanted. Five stamp liquors. (laughs) Um. The thing with is that with software, there's so much unknown in this kind of implementation, um, deployment, shipping aspect. Like if you were to have the timeline here and like discovery, ideation, design, development, and then like integration and shipping it and like turning it on for users, you know, you look at that and you say, oh, that's just as 20%. And so, you know, if we've done the design development, we're 80% of the way done. We only have 20% left. But in software, it's more like you're 80% of the way done and you have 80% to go, <laughs> right? Because there's so much hidden complexity in this last part that you don't know that could affect all this stuff and cause you have to redo a bunch of this stuff, just like the envelope example. So that's why small batches is especially important in software where there's a ton of unknowns. We're building new stuff. We're, we're, we're building brand new things that have never been built before, integrating them with a variety of systems that change over time. Again, everything is changing because software is soft. So there's so much unknown here. And so that's why small batches becomes even more important in software. And so going back to your, your point, I think um, no one's, it's no one's fault um, that this wasn't thought of. Of course, this is also the argument from Agile, which is you want to have a cross-discipline team in the same room when you're talking about building a single feature. You want the designer there, the developer there, the product person there, a customer support person there because they're going to have bring, be able to surface as many of these issues as possible as soon in the process as possible. Yeah, you know, for for you, I love having all those people in the room, but to have all those people in the room, you do need that product owner. Yeah, the person that can say, like, okay, I've heard you all. Yep, this is a decision, yep. or otherwise. You're in design by committee. Yes, and yes. Never... That's not the point of the committee. It's right. design by committee. It's it's to it's to elicit feedback. But yes, you absolutely need the product owner to what is the Jeff Jeff Bezos thing? Disagree and commit. Oh yeah, it's yeah something yeah, like something that. like that. Yeah, disagree and move forward or disagree and commit. commit. Yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah. So that's what you want out of these things. And I think I think I've read something from like Netflix engineering that that has that they have like a clear decision maker mm-hmm. and they say like I've heard you. Um, I understand where you're coming from, but, but here's where we're going. Here's my decision. And with Apple, it was the DRI, yeah. the directly responsible individual who was able to just be the final decision maker when it came to a product. Yeah. Um, you know, it's weird. It's, it's hard, you know, just companies I've, I've worked at, there's a lot of politics that go on. Yeah. And so it's hard. It's not getting that DRI. It like it needs to come from the top. Yeah, like you need the CEO to point and say like Sam, Sam is a decision maker, and everyone needs to listen to him. Right, because otherwise you're going to try to politics right. and, and hallway conversations yep. and deals and yeah. <laughs> I'm imagining like House of Cards right now, like 
how much for a hundred lines of code? Yeah. I, I want to get my feature in. I need a hundred lines of code. That's all I need. <laughs> so yeah, there's, I mean, there's just so many aspects to this, but, um, right. So you get everyone in the room and you still don't find out about these 400 accounts until you're 50% of the way through this feature, but at least you're only 50% of the way through the feature unless in, instead of 50% of the way through the entire project, um, when you've already sunk into other things that might be dependent on this decision so you can go back and revisit the decision. And again, this comes back to also the estimation, which is like, why are so like 50% of all software projects fail or more than that or go over time and over budget. Dude, 99. <laughs> yeah. I mean, why did that, why does that happen? And it's because we're not practicing estimation. We're not measuring and, 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 um, reevaluating when we said something was going to take two weeks and it took four weeks. And, and that's part of this slice agile mentality, which is if you finish a feature, if you, if you make a guess about how long it's going to take, and then you actually do the one, one slice of the app end to end, truly end to end, then you actually know. Otherwise you're just guessing in the dark because of all that hidden complexity. You're moving 20 features through like this and you think you're 80% of the way through, but you didn't see all this stuff yeah. right here. So slice slices are important. And, um, yeah, that's just, um, I think that's just the reality of software development. Agreed. I mean, the successful projects that I've worked on have, have had this, right. You know, and this definitely goes back to some of the open source stuff. Cause you know, those 400 accounts that were in a state, I mean, part of this is just like the complexity of software. And if you build bigger software, you add like a increasing number of potential states to your app and your services, which makes it so hard to understand. Um, so building something like batteries included Mirage or something lower level, um, kind of there's a, there's an analogy here where you've built something really big and there's a lot of states that you're not going to understand ways people are going to use your code that you don't understand and you're going to discover at the end and again it might affect some of your decisions so like this happens this has happened a ton in mirage i'm um, going back and adding like polymorphic support or or a serializer layer changing decisions and again it's not a problem that you need to change things because you're going to learn but i think going forward with my kind of open source libraries you know, like we have this kind of internal like UI components library we use for things. And I think before we would open source it, I would want to think of like, what's the lowest level simple thing that we could ship that maybe wouldn't be as convenient to use, but we could build our convenient solution on top of, but that core would be super solid and it would only be have a few use cases. It's much easier to build something like that. You know, Dan Abramov has talked about that with Redux. Like he said, Redux was done like a long time ago because it just does you know, just a handful of things. It's not trying to do caching and relationships, right? You want those things when you use it, mm -hmm. but that's not the purpose. You know, I, I, we think about this a lot with like abstractions that we build. It's, we want escape hatches. We want to be able to drop down to those lower layers because when the big abstraction is wrong mm -hmm. and abstractions are wrong a lot, mm -hmm. we want to be able to drop down. So it's like, I guess what I hear you saying, like with this UI library, it's like we have the end vision in mind and we, we kind of have something like that, but it's not ready to be open source because they're, you know, we just kind of went right to the abstraction. Right. So the idea is we like, we would keep dropping down and get to a level where yeah. like, okay, this makes sense for the lowest level. Right. What's well, like the fundamental thing you need. And this is like what Ember Data is doing with like model da record data, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's kind of is what it's doing with record data, but like maybe the UI components, instead of having like the object API and like has style, like style. It's really just 
something lower level that lets you like make a presenter um but it's it's just more simple like uh it's i'm not sure what it would look like but it just captures the core aspect of it um which is like yeah who knows what that looks like but just the core aspects of it or like with storefront like we were just talking earlier about like uh reload with versus load but maybe there's something lower level that you could do separate from it that's just this idea of like have i queried this endpoint with this uh these parameters or not mm-hmm. and then like everyone could use that and then you could build these higher level things on top of it but i mean sure storefront uses ember data's uh query the query api mm-hmm. and that's i mean right that's super that's basically level. what the important part of right of it it is, is is wrapping that and then we can build up all these things on top yep. of that so yeah i guess when you peel back the layers you yep. see okay so it's kind of interesting but it is kind of funny this is kind of like this is kind of like product development it's kind of like a good product owner says no to 99 features says yes yes to the one that's going to be the most valuable lets the team focus on that ship it end to end and then move from there once they've learned things and so um yeah, I think there's I think there's a lot of good stuff product can teach us software developers. So, amen. <laughs> All right, um, I think that's it for this pod. It's a good pod. It's a good pod. <laughs> Is that what we're calling them now? Yeah, pods. Okay. Remember podcast when like I when like the 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 iPod first came out and it was like a podcast. It was so lame. Remember podcasts were so lame. Now we're sitting here. Does that mean we're lame now? Is it just because we're older and lamer? <laughs> No, I, I do. I don't remember. What were old podcasts? Like, or like there when were... the iPod first came out, they had podcasts on oh, iTunes really? store. And like, no, it was, they were awful. Like, they were so bad. <laughs> no one listened to them. I remember Paul Graham writing in one of his essays, like talking about podcast businesses. And, and he had this line where he's like, oh, that's an oxymoron. <laughs> <laughs> of course, now. I guess it was yeah. just ahead of its time. You know? Yeah. I mean, I, they're awesome. They're, I, I love, love podcasts. Was there like one podcast? I, I, I listen put, to podcasts when I wash my dishes. What was like, what were the pod? Was there like a podcast that put podcasting on the map? Yeah, I don't know. Freakonomics was pretty early. I don't know. I think Serial. Serial probably did it. Serial was, was huge for sure. But um, yeah, it's interesting. This, is the, this has been the product pod. <laughs> Thank you for listening. <laughs> we should do more. I mean... Hopefully people like this. We should do more. I like these. The product stuff? We should do stuff? more of these, yeah. Oh, yeah. There's. I mean, this is like the stuff that... This is the stuff that everyone talks about in the hallways at their jobs. That's you true. Know? And then... Um, when they're trading for 100 lines of code. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's important. All right, cool. Thanks for joining us this week, and we'll see you next time. Bye.